John could be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in hand to clean out his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the storehouse, but the chaff he will burn up with inextinguishable fire. In this way, with many other words and exhortations, John proclaimed good news to the people. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil deeds that he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And while he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my one dear son. In you, I take great delight. This title of my sermon this morning is Ritual to Repentance. Ritual to Repentance. You know, we're getting into the, to the good stuff. This is a very famous passage, Luke chapter 3. Hopefully it's, it's one you're familiar with. It's one that we sometimes look at in the, in the Bible study series for, for seekers uh, in terms of what does it mean to actually repent. Now, John the Baptist comes on the scene. And uh, my first question for you is, why is he called the Baptist? You know, some versions say he's called John the Baptizer. And there, there's a reason for it, and I'll get to it in just one second. But when John arrives on the scene, the first thing that the text says is that there were all these leaders. There's a Roman leader. There are these tetrarchs who are basically like subordinate leaders all within the, the region of Palestine. There's all these leaders. It's funny if you do any research on these leaders, most of them are kind of kind of bozos. They're not really well known for being great leaders, but within, but but the world sees them as powerful. So these leaders, maybe who don't deserve leadership, are in leadership, and they're in charge of the Roman world, especially this area in the Eastern Roman Empire of Palestine. It is within this context that John comes on the scene and begins to preach at this picture here. That's the picture of the Jordan. He begins to preach at the Jordan River out in the wilderness. Now, what, what was life like back then? You know, it was a lot probably um, like, I was going to say a lot like life now, probably actually not much like, like life now, but it was similar in that I think a lot of us now are feeling like life is very difficult. We're going through a, a time in many of our lives where the normal ups and downs of life look very different. And a lot of us, I think, have struggled. And perhaps maybe when things are, it can be easy to think like, okay, if things are bad in your life, maybe it's actually easier to pursue God. Uh, but many of us maybe find that's actually not the case, that we've, it's actually been just as hard or harder to pursue God, even when, even when the, the, the different aspects of your life are not going as planned. And I did a little research on what life was like back at this time, and it was pretty astounding. You know, the life expectancy for somebody uh, in this area in, in antiquity in the Roman Empire was about early 30s. People lived to be about in their early 30s. Um, but more parents would lose more than half of their children at childbirth because they would just die. They didn't have, they didn't know enough. They didn't have soap. They didn't have any, any antiseptic conditions. Um, it, most children grew up with one parent because the other parent would die. Um, they lived in constant fear of fires. There was no security, right? So usually you had the father sleep in front of the door with maybe a sword because anybody could break in and do really anything. Um, riots were common. Um, um, there, there was, the, the health conditions were incredibly poor, um, food, sanitation, people often had eyesores or skin rashes, um, or it was just, 
it was about as uncomfortable, as dismal as you could imagine. I don't know if you can imagine living to be about 30, and by that time, half your kids are dead, your spouse is dead, you have health problems. And that's not even to mention the socioeconomic conditions of the time. That doesn't even mention the, the oppression of the Roman Empire. It does not mention the racial tension between the Jews and Gentiles. It doesn't mention any of that. But the, these, this is the life of the people that are coming out, by the way, coming out to the desert to see John preach. And he has quite the welcome for, for them, doesn't he? <laughs> I don't know if you can imagine, right? Like this morning, if I had um, opened up service with, thanks for coming, you children of snakes. You lazy, you. <laughs> if you guys logged into Zoom and the first thing I did was just, <laughs> you know, call you children of, of, of vipers, you might log off pretty quick. Like, dude, what are you, what's, what are you insulting me? I, I logged on for you. I had to type in the password. It was like, you know, took me like eight seconds. Um, but, you know, like we would probably be offended, right? But these people traveled out to the desert. Some of us know what the desert is like with the heat out there right now. These people travel out to the desert to hear a man preach, and he calls them children of snakes. Why does he do it? Why, why does he do it? Um, you know, baptism actually at this time was not uncommon. John's not the first person to baptize. You know, when, when John starts baptizing, people are like, people are not asking him, hey, why are you taking humans and submerging them in, in water? You know, like people are not asking the question why, perhaps. So they're aware of what baptism is, because the reality is, is that baptism was actually a fairly common thing for Jews. It was just very different. You know, recently, my wife and I were in, um, in Jerusalem the last couple of years uh, with the Balshas and others, and we were there, and we actually were at the steps of the temple here in Jerusalem, which is still there to this day, and surrounding all of the temple of Jerusalem are these these mikvahs, they're called. They're basically, you can see, they're, uh, they're, they're different uh, constructions to allow for uh, water to sit. And actually, not just sit, but move throughout all these different places. There's hundreds of mikvahs there. And it basically was a, a place for Jews to go through a ritual cleansing. So the word ritual, meaning it was a ritual, it was something that was uh, symbolic. And they would go through a cleansing to cleanse themselves of sin. Uh, to, and so, you know, you see a little bit of this in the New Testament with, with the washing of hands. So it was, it, was a, it was a highly symbolic action, but it was also an action only done by yourself. You'd simply just walk down these steps into the water, submerge yourself, walk out. Then you'd be clean in order to enter the temple. Uh, and so people were quite um, aware of baptism, but John was doing it differently because he was doing it to other people. That's why he's called John the baptizer. That's why he's called John the Baptist, right? He, he was baptizing others. That was unusual. And, 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 and we'll tell you probably why in just a moment. But it was unusual for John to be baptizing other people. And so people go out to see exactly what he's up to there, there in the desert. And so life was hard for these people. They come out, they want to hear what John has to say. And he says, you brood of vipers, right? Uh, you, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Um, and so maybe, he, he, I don't know if you want to say insulted, but John is saying something about these people as they come in. Uh, to hear him preach. Now, who are these people? These people are Jews. Um, they're Jews who, who probably have been living a pretty independent life in terms of religion at this point. Um, for the last 400 years, they have not heard a divine word from God. In the book of, between your Old Testament and your New Testament, there's about 400 years of nothing, of prophetic silence. And I tell you, there's nothing more discouraging than thinking that God has abandoned you. There's nothing more devastating than thinking that God has turned his back on you. There's nothing more hopeless than thinking that God has given up on you. We've gone through this pandemic for about uh, three or four months 
Can you imagine 400 years of devastation? Uh, 400 years of thinking, where's God? What's he doing? What's he up to? What's his, what's his goal? What's his aim? What's his purpose? And one of the worst things in life is to be useless, to be hopeless, to have no, to have no point, to have no purpose. Uh, and these people come out to the Jordan because they think maybe this guy is going to tell us something about what God is up to. Maybe this guy is going to tell us something about what God is doing. Because the reality is, is that I don't know about you, but if you're going to withstand, if you're going to travel, then get insulted in a way, and then still be able at the end of the story to say, hey, by the way, um, what should we do? What, what's your advice for us? <laughs> you know, that, that level of humility is incredible. Can you imagine? Would you, can you imagine that going well with anybody in the church right now? Just call them a snake, call them lazy, call them deceitful, and then they go, ah, good point. What, what, would, you, what would you say to me? What, what, do you have any advice for me? <laughs> you know, like, oh my goodness, these people's level of humility is astounding, but why? What is it, that's, that, that, what is it that, that gets to their heart that allows them to be able to do this? And Paul, sorry, not Paul, John is getting at something here, you know, when he says, you children of vipers, don't begin to say to yourself, we're children of Abraham. Don't do that. Don't do that, right? It's like the kingdom kid, person who grows up in church who's like, I don't need to get baptized. You know, my mom and dad, they're legit. They're, they're great Christians. Don't begin to tell me who your mommy and daddy are. Don't tell me who daddy is. Don't do it because it does not matter. It matters who you are. What John is saying is that your actions matter. I don't care who daddy is. I don't care who mommy is. I don't care how many, how many times you want to name drop somebody. Because you are children of Abraham, that's a fancy way of saying you're Jewish. Your ethnicity does not give you a claim on the love of God. Your, your, your heritage, your cultural heritage and your ethnicity do not give you a claim on the love of God. In fact, John says, you know what you are, if you actually want to look at your deeds, if I were to just judge who your family is based on your deeds, I don't see God, I see a snake. And every Jew, when they hear snake, you know who they think of? They think of Genesis. Who's a snake in Genesis? You betcha. It's Satan. And in a lot of ways, John is saying, you guys' actions actually remind me more of Satan than they do God. Oh, golly. Talk about being punched in the gut right when you show up to church. Hey, man, your actions, your behavior this week. Hey, sister, your behavior last week actually reminds me more of Satan than it does of God. The axe is at the root of the tree. If you do not repent, you know, there's something else that, that John is doing. He's not, just, he's not just baptizing people for some symbol. He's saying, no, 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 this is a baptism of repentance. This is a baptism that has meaning. The baptism that has meaning. It's got to lead. This has to be a part of changed, transformed character. The things you've been doing, you cannot do anymore. You cannot do them anymore if you're going to receive a baptism of repentance. You have, you have to change. This is, why, this is why our church is so, so, so uh, in love with the Bible study series. Because of verses like this, John was not going to baptize just anybody here. Neither were the apostles in the book of Acts. They simply, they had to know. They had to know, not be perfect. I'm talking about perfection here. Don't do that. I'm talking about there's, there's, there's a heart change that has to occur. Let me tell you what I mean. You know, when, when, when the people come out, they're probably like, oh, this is okay, a new, maybe it's a new ritual. Maybe this is a new kind of cool ritual. And, and as, as humans, we can get really into ritual because ritual is easy. 
show up Sunday, log in. We get and we get good. We get good at knowing what to do. All right, I know there's going to be some time. I can turn my camera off. I can actually get some things done while church is going on. You know, maybe I can actually do the dishes while church is happening. Maybe I can have it on in my car while I'm getting more important things done. Um, okay, yeah, I know that uh, this sister wants to talk on the phone, but you know, okay, I'll, I can put it on speakerphone while I'm doing other things. And you know, like we can get so we can do the right thing, but with with a heart of stone. We can do the right thing. We can do the right thing without really much meaning to it. And it's it's so tempting. It's so tempting. And it's me too. I think we all feel this. So Burley Moran, we felt it right. I could show up 10 minutes late. Maybe it wouldn't matter. All right. This is youth and family devos. You know, it's at the, at the clubhouse. Okay. I don't, I, I don't have to bring a snack because I know that that one sister is going to bring incredible, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts and I don't have to do anything. So I just won't, um, you know, and I don't really like Zoom. So I just don't even come anymore or, um, or, you know, I just, and it can be, it can be so easy for our hearts, our hearts to get hard. Because the reality is it's not about church attendance. The reality is it's not, about, um, it's not about the ritual. It's not about checking off the boxes. It's about the heart. And, you know, in, in this passage, uh, Luke says that, that John is a lot like Isaiah. Well, what does Isaiah say in his first chapter? He says that this is God speaking through Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts, stop bringing me meaningless offerings. This is God talking to his people. These people are at church, these people are, are giving offerings. They're actually sacrificing animals. Be like you giving a good sum of money to the church and God saying, stop giving meaningless gifts. <laughs> Where's your heart? Repentance has always been about the softening and the cutting of the heart. It's always been about a cosmic shift of mind and heart. It's always been a reorientation of mind and heart. It's always been a vast shift of mind and heart. But I'll tell you what goes quickly. What goes first is our hearts. It goes so quickly, especially if you've been around long enough to know what to say, to know how to say it to say things to get people off your back, right? Trust me, it is so easy to do this. And it takes guts to do what John does. It takes guts. If I was John, I'd be like so tempted to just say, thanks for coming. I know it was so far. We're not gonna have the sermon right now. We're gonna wait. I set up some food and some snacks over here. I'm so grateful you came. I don't wanna say anything that might hurt your feelings or I'm sure we're all okay. But John brings the truth. He brings the truth and they listen. They listen. He says, listen, guys, you are not going to be okay simply because you are a Jew. You're not. You have no ethnic claim on the love of God. You know what actually is going to have a greater claim uh, on the family of God? You know what's going to tell the world that you're a part of the family of God? Is your actions. Your actions. Who you are, your behavior will be more important. And you know what's great about John? Uh, this whole thing is just great, right? So first of all, he's like, you're not, don't tell me who your daddy is. I don't, you're, you don't talk about your daddy? Your daddy's probably Satan. Anyway, let's move on. You want to talk about children of Abraham? God can raise up stones to be children of Abraham. <laughs> like stones could do what you're doing. Rocks could do what you're doing. And it's amazing. It's amazing how he does that. He, he says, listen, it's, you think you're special because you have this special nature in and of yourself. You're not, you're not bringing anything to the equation. 
God could actually soften the heart of a rock. And luckily for us, many of us have hearts like rock this morning or have had hearts like rock before. And God can soften those hearts. God can bring softness. God can bring change to even the hardest of hearts, right? He's referencing Ezekiel 36, which says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, for a lot of us, we begin, especially like Hebrews 3 says, when we cut people off, we begin to be more and more deceived by sin. And our hearts can get harder and harder and harder. We can get paranoid. We think everyone's talking about us. We think everyone is out to get us. We can get frustrated. We can get really prickly. People bring up the slightest thing and we can go off on them. You don't know me. You don't know my situation. You don't know my, we can get really irritated quite easily. We can get impatient. We can get frustrated. We can be insecure that people are comparing us to others. We can compare ourselves to others. And we just get, our hearts get so hard. Our hearts get so hard and it's tough for things to penetrate. It's tough for God at times to even penetrate. I got to be honest. I appreciate that John the Baptist does not pull punches here. That he's honest. That he's honest. You know, sometimes I think that we think if we're honest with people, they'll reject us. You know, but, but better is an honest man than a flattering tongue. You know, Proverbs 28, 23 says, it's better to be straightforward. Better to be frank than be a flatterer. And I think sometimes we need to hear truth from one another. Why was John baptizing people and not just letting them baptize themselves? The Jews were used to baptizing themselves. Perhaps John was saying something about this, this faith of ours, that it cannot be done by ourselves, that we actually need each other. Because it's not just John that baptizes people. It's the people when their hearts are cut. They actually ask that beautiful question. What should we do? What should we do? They ask him. Wouldn't it be easy just to hear the sermon and go, great sermon, John. I'm going to go home and apply this in the best way I see fit, right? But they go, no, no, actually, that's a great point. What should we do? That's a really humble question to ask, isn't it? When's the last time that you asked, okay, I think I know what to do with my daughter, but I, I you know what, I want to ask for help. Sister, what do you think I should do to help my daughter become a Christian? Okay, I think I know how to help myself with my impurity, but gosh, it's been so bad recently. So bad. You know what I'm actually going to ask? Hey, brother, what do you think I should do about my impurity? You know, it's been so hard recently just feeling like I'm a bad friend. I'm a bad leader. I feel like a bad Christian. I, instead of just, okay, you know, I'm going to ask somebody, what do you think I should do, sister? I've been feeling this for so long. There's so much humility in that little question. And John doesn't blow their minds, by the way. He's not like, soldiers! quit being a soldier and become a monk. No, no, he says, hey, listen, stay a soldier, but you need to be transformed within the sphere of being a soldier. Don't do what soldiers do. And for you who are tax collectors, by the way, the fact that tax collectors showed up to this is a big deal. Even in the Greek, some versions say it. I think it says tax collectors also came. The Greek says even tax collectors came, these people who are hated by everyone, right? He's, and then John says, you guys need to stop. Don't do what tax collectors do. Don't steal. Don't, these are all very common things. These are all things that they would have read in the Old Testament. These are not new teachings. And sometimes, sometimes we just need somebody else to be able to give us that simple truth. And sometimes the simplest things are the hardest. Sometimes just hearing, what should I do? Well, have you been having quiet times? No. 
well, I, I think that having a quiet time every day would be helpful. It's not like you have to like reinvent the wheel every time, but sometimes just asking somebody, how's your prayer life been? You know, it's that consistency, just the simple obedience. Sometimes we need to hear that from each other because church in a time when it is easier than ever to be independent, when it is easier than ever to be alone, when it is easier than ever to be deceitful. I pray that we don't follow that road. I pray that we make efforts to ask others to baptize us, if you know what I mean. We ask others, hey, bro, hey, sis, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do about fall or this, the school this fall? What do you think I should do about dating? And we're, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not asking for permission, right? It's not like, let's not get into that, okay? It's just simply opening yourself up to dialogue because you realize that, you know what, this is what we did when we got baptized. When we all got baptized, we decided to realign ourselves with the will of God. And here it is. I think that the people, it's my thought, that the people were able to hear John. They weren't offended that they were called snakes. They weren't offended that they basically were told that stones could be better, <laughs> better faithful children than them. They weren't offended because they were excited that God was hearing them. God's back. They went out to the desert. And John rebuked them, and they were like, ah, oh, we got rebuked. It was incredible. But guess what? God is back, baby. He's got a plan. And we think this might be the Messiah. Let's ask him. No, I'm not the Messiah. I can't even actually tie his shoes. Oh, okay, but who is the Messiah? That guy over there. He's the Messiah. God's got a plan. God's working. God's on it. God is back. God has not forgotten us because the reality is when you know that God is graciously initiating himself into your life, Everything in repentance just becomes a response. It's just a response. You know, a lot of people think that Judaism was just this legalistic religion and then Christians come and they add grace and everything's grace, grace, grace. It's not true. Grace is very much an Old Testament concept. Grace is just the idea that God begins the relationship and our actions keep us within a faithful relationship. But you have to have faithful actions to stay in a relationship. That is an obvious statement right? I have to have faithful actions to my wife if I want to stay in this relationship. I have to, we have to have faithful, loving actions if we're going to stay in a relationship with God. Actions matter. They do. You will have to sit before the judgment seat of Christ one day and be judged for every, everything you've done in your life, whether good or evil, right? Second Corinthians 4 and 5. You, you, we will. Actions matter. The beautiful thing is, is that repentance isn't about having the right actions to be able to be loved. Repentance is about we've already been loved, so why wouldn't we have the right actions? Repentance is about we've already been accepted. God is already, and, and how do you know in this passage? Because everyone's like, oh no, John, he was our guy, and he gets arrested, right, at the end of the verse. He's arrested. Oh, God must be, God must lose. That must be it. We're done. Nope, camera, right? This is my son whom I love, my dear son with whom I'm well pleased. You know, how do we know that God, God had already sent Jesus when these people were being preached to. Jesus was already on his way to die for them. And the only way for your heart to start softening, I believe, is to really be able to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to focus on Jesus. And our hearts will begin to soften. We have to ask people. Maybe you have no idea where to go, where to turn. Ask somebody. Ask them, what do you think I should do? You know what this verse looks a lot like? It's actually incredible how much this verse is similar to Acts chapter 2, right? Intense preaching followed by people who are cut to the heart, who say, brothers and sisters, what shall we do? What does Peter say in Acts chapter 2? 
repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. This promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Right? Luke writes both these books. I think he has, he has a, an idea in mind that the mission of God is the same with John and Jesus. And I want to encourage us this morning, church, no matter what you're going through, no matter what it is, I want you to take a moment right now as we take communion and do it, try to focus your senses on Jesus. Just think about Jesus dying on that cross for you. Try to, try to imagine what it would have felt like to be there, to have him lock eyes on you. Try to imagine what it would have been like when Jesus was teaching with Mary and Martha in their home. Try to imagine what it would have been like as you walk with Jesus by the side of the road and his family called him insane and rejected him. Try to imagine, try to feel, try to smell what it would have been like to be in those massive crowds when he, when he touched the woman who had been bleeding for so long, when he raised Jairus' daughter. Try to imagine, just focus on Jesus. Take a break from social media for a week. Go on a social media fast. Go on a media fast. No TV. Go on a, and just, just try to focus back on Christ. Because I guarantee that he will soften your heart. And if you need help, it will always be given, right, to those who ask for it. Ask somebody for help. Please help me. Brother, sister, what should I do? You know, it was amazing in Chicago church. You see all those baptisms there? They had 30 baptisms in the last few months. Incredible. Incredible. What can God do right now if we really realign ourselves to him? And I want to encourage you, church, if you have repented, if you have been baptized, no one can pluck you from God's hand. The question is, is that do you want to have right actions to stay within the relationship with God? Do you want to maintain this relationship? And if so, let's do it together. After we have communion, we're going to sing a song. I just want to read the lyrics to that song as we close out this morning. Uh, we'll also have a prayer uh, for those who, for the prayer request. But the lyrics to the song this morning that we'll close out with says, When our souls were like the desert and we stumbled on the stream where he washed our sorrows under, we became like those who dream. Let it be said among the nations, there's a God who shares our dream. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray for the bread and the juice. God, we're grateful Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotions. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time. God who is not gone, a God who is not absent, but a God who is very